looking out and seeing and like getting a picture of like that's that's heaven on earth. Like when we think about heaven, like I I was thinking I I love reading God's word. I love learning. I love studying. I love preaching. I love talking to people about God. But there's going to be this moment when the only thing we're going to do is just enjoy the presence of heaven. And that that prayer that we're praying of, I just want to just have this moment and just enjoy the Lord, that there will be a day when that is the moment. And I, oh, 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 so good. All right. I want to read something from 1 Corinthians real quick. And I'm going to read from the message version, which I don't do often, but I really like the way this is read. It says, these things are all warning marks, dangers in our history books, written down so that we won't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They are at the beginning. We are at the end. We are just as capable of messing up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not as good. You could fall flat on your face as easily as any one of us. Forget about self-confidence. Use it. Cultivate God confidence. Lord Jesus, as we come this morning and we transition from a time of of praising and worshiping and and seeking your face in worship to a time of, of understanding your word and seeking your word, Help us to be as you. That, that as we dive into your word, as we look at you and, and the things that you have done through your people, help us first and most clearly see you. And in seeing you, know that our lives will change. We love you, Jesus. Amen. If you're new, my name is Mike, uh, lead pastor. Um, and I'm going to ask the band to come. Um, we're we're going to continue. We're now in week three of our sermon series, Missing the God. And so this week, uh, the past two weeks, we were in Genesis. That's right in the beginning, in the beginning, uh, with the fall. And then we moved forward just a little bit to the call of Abraham. This week, we are going to fast way further. Some of you might be expecting that we might be talking about Moses, but we're going to fast further than that. We're going all the way to Hosea. Uh, Hosea is a really interesting book um, because it, it deals with something a little bit different. So in the, in the beginning, what we had was the fall. We saw God created everything. It was perfect. It was beautiful. Everything was wonderful. And then it fell. So Adam and Eve sinned. And then we looked at Abraham and what we saw that God is faithful to keep his promise. And it, part of that promise was that he told Abraham, I'm going to create a people for myself. You're going to be the father of countless people. And Abraham had no children at the time. And he was like, I don't know about that. But now we're fast forwarding all the way to Hosea. And with that, we're skipping over kings and generations and, and empire building and wars and everything else because this is now the promise. Like we're jumping right into that promise. It's not to say that everything in between isn't important. It's very important, very insightful, very helpful. But we're, we're tracking the mission of God. So now we've got God saying to his people that he created, you need to have a father. And uh, like most fathers, when your dad says, we need to have a car, it's usually not, here's a car, right? It's, give me the keys, is usually what the talk is. So Hosea is the first book in what's called the Book of the Twelve, or the Minor Prophets. And they're not minor because, you know, their, their sayings are less important. It's minor because we've got three big prophets. We've got uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah. And these, these guys have, like, huge books where they just, they, God's speaking through them, and they go off on things. The minor prophets really have smaller books, and it's usually directed towards, like, a very specific time frame.
some are very specific groups of people, and so they're, they're called the minor prophets. The book of the Twelve, and it's, it's fantastic. Hosea in particular, the more I read it, I was talking to my wife the other day, the more I read the book of Hosea, the more I love this book. It is, it is fascinating, and it stands out. So the book of Hosea, and Hosea's name, name means uh, Yahweh saves, right? So this is, this is Hosea. It's his name, Yahweh saves. It's like, okay. It, he's, he's living in a time period where the kings are evil. Like, the kings are just constantly doing wrong things. Like, so think, you know, we, we live in a democracy. We have a president. King, like the president, only you don't get to choose. You don't get to vote every four years and decide if you like this guy or not. He gets out of office because somebody killed him. And they just kept killing each other. Like, these kings would come in, and this guy would do evil, and so somebody else would come in and say, oh, I don't like that. They killed him, and then he does this. And this is what was going on. And not only that, but in, in Hosea's society in Israel, they had kings who ruled the nations, and they had priests who really ruled uh, life itself, religious life. And they, they overlapped and intertwined. And the religious leaders were doing evil as well. From the top down, people were just doing whatever they wanted, going their own way, and just doing evil in the land. So God says to his people, you need to have a prophet. But the story is very scandalous, because the way God chooses to do that is through Hosea and his wife. So the story is shocking, because God tells Hosea to go and marry a promiscuous woman. God says, this is what I want you to do. And we're supposed to read that and go, that's, that's rough. And then we keep reading the story, and we see that God say, by the way, the woman represents you guys. And then we're supposed to be like, no. And then we keep reading the story, and then we're supposed to be shocked because God says, and I love you. And we're supposed to be very confused. There's four keys to understanding the book of Hosea. It's not a long book. I highly recommend you reading it. It's, it's a tough read if you've never read it. The more you read it, the better it gets. I highly recommend maybe this one's taking you there. But there's uh, sorry, three key words to understanding the book of Hosea. It's found in chapter 4, verse 1. Um, so if, you're, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn there. It's about that far. Page 1353. <laughs> that helps, yeah. I mean, it might. I really want us to look at this. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. God is talking to his people. And he says, There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in Israel. This is how God starts his conversation with his children. And this is important. And the three words here, I don't think I made slides for these, uh, but I'm going to give them to you here. The first word is Shema. And if you're taking notes, it's S-H-E-M-A. And it's a very important word. And the fact that God, through Hosea, starts us with the word Shema is incredibly important. Because you might, if you've been in church for a while, you might know the word Shema. I know that it's a prayer from Deuteronomy. And it means to, the word means hear. But it's not just hearing. Like we've all told our kids, you're not hearing me. Right? 
they might hear the words that you're saying, but they're not actually hearing them. Because this word shema means hear, but it really means listen and obey. Hear what I'm saying to you and have that hearing cause action. And so for the prophet to start that way is for instantly the people of Israel who know this to go, hold on, he's about to say something. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, known as the Shema. The first line is really simple. It says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. For those who don't speak Hebrew, hear, listen and obey, Israel. Hear what I'm about to tell you and understand that this needs to cause action in you. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. This is important. It's meant for people to take notice of what God is saying. The people of Israel, in the past and still today, recite the Shema twice a day. Twice a day, they were supposed to get on their knees and say these words and remind themselves, there is a God who is one with you. Powerful statement. Here's how powerful it is, and I know I made a slide for this, it's kind of long, but uh, just practice from a book I read by Charles Wright, it says, man creates his own false gods whom he can manipulate and control. Christian people sometimes concoct a perverted or sufficient concept of God for his sameness to be able to manipulate him or not have to face up to the true and living God. But the only actual God who exists is the one who is revealed primarily in the Bible and revealed by these attributes attributes or perfections of his being to be able to know this living and true god requires a miracle of the gracious revelation of himself and to walk in worship with that living and true god is the privilege of all who know him this is what is meant by shema so for god to say to his people shema hear me this is what he expects them to pull to mind second word is truth emet It says this truth, righteousness, firmness. It, it's like stability or firm foundation, right? We can, we can walk on the floor in here and not be afraid because there's, it's true. If I was younger and had better knees, I could jump off onto the floor and not be afraid of hurting myself because that floor is going to support me. It is a firm foundation. It's truth. Third word is hesed, mercy, H-E-S-E-D. And it means mercy, loving kindness, faithfulness. God argues that the people do not have truth, they do not have faith. They do not have love, and they do not have mercy. God uses those two words to describe himself, and writers in the Bible use those two words to describe God all the time. Psalm 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 11 says, Lord, do not withhold your compassion. Your constant love and truth will always be with me. We understand that God is hesed and emet. He has hesed and emet. He has true, faithful love. And he says, my problem with my people is they do not have that. Aren't you excited? Isn't this good? Don't you see why this is my favorite book? Right? So but here's what happens is God says, let me explain to you, Israel, what the problem is. So Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, says, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, 
This is the first time Hosea is hearing the word of the Lord. Hosea sits at home watching Cowboys game. They're actually winning. He's happy. It's fantastic. And God speaks. Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children from her. For the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity to abandon and destroy. That's the word for the king of Hosea. This is, this is what he gets. He instantly knows, I am not going to be the most likely to succeed in prophet school. Right? No, he did not get good news. He didn't get this warm, fuzzy, loving message of encouragement. He says, uh, so here's what I want you to do, Hosea. Go marry a woman of promiscuity. Because that's what Israel is doing to me. And there's two thoughts about this woman. Her name's Gomer. There's two thoughts about Gomer. One is that she was already known as a promiscuous woman. So when, when, when God tells Hosea this, go marry Gomer, he probably knew her. God, I don't, Yahweh, I, I don't know if you understand that, yes, she's a promiscuous woman, but like everybody knows who she is. Or two, God knew that she was going to be promiscuous and was just preparing Hosea. Either way, it's rough. Uh, early church fathers, Irenaeus and Augustine, make her out to be an unchaste woman before her marriage to Hosea, which marks the grace shown to her by him who so, so freely ignored the past in joining her to holy wedlock, just as God chooses to love us. Again, either way, it's scandalous. God chooses the rebellious. God chooses the runaway. God chooses the prostitute and calls them, no, calls us, to live that out. Gomer then goes on to have three children, two of which may or may not be from Hosea. We know the first one is because it clearly says that she bore this child to Hosea. And his name is Jezreel. Now, I don't know if anybody's pregnant in here, but if you're looking for baby names, I've got three don't use. Jezreel, right? These are not, don't use these. Everybody's looking for creative baby names. This ain't on the list. Jezreel, God sows. And God says, I will sow destruction on you. The second little baby's born, and they name her Lorahema, which means no compassion, because God says, I will not have compassion on you. And the third is Loami, and it means not my people, because God says, these are not my people. This is not what I created. This is not what I had in mind when I spoke to Abraham and said you would be the father of many nations. This is not the nation I wanted you to give birth to. These are not my people. This is supposed to break the people of Israel. They're supposed to hear these words and weep and lament and turn from their wicked ways and ways. God says that his desire is that his bride, Israel, would call him my husband not just my master. He wants intimacy with his people. He wants his people to seek him, to know him. Like we sang this morning, he wants that for his people. He wants us to say, I just want you. Nothing else matters. I don't care about the cars. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the job. I don't care about any of it, Jesus. I just want you. That's the relationship God's calling his people to. At some point in the story, Gomer leaves Hosea and the Israelites. It doesn't get into the details, but at some point she just leaves. And she goes off. And she continues to do what 
Hosea is at home with these three children. God said, marry this woman. And now Hosea has married the woman, has three kids, and she's gone. He doesn't know where she is. She's off. Trying to be gentle. You know, the little one's in the room. Right? She's off doing stuff. And Hosea is just at home with these children going, where's my bride? He's doing that. He's going through all of this because God said, this is what I need you to understand. That's my people. That's what they're doing to me. Is they're off prostituting themselves in the land to other gods and to other things and finding other things to fulfill their needs that are not me. Then God comes and speaks to Hosea and says, go buy back her back. Buy her back from so Hosea does. He goes and he buys her back from slavery and he says to her, listen, that's it. No more. You're coming home with me and we're going to do this right. It's you and it's me and that's it. And she goes home. The question is this, I think, that we're supposed to take from, from that little part of it where Hosea or Gomer leaves is how often do we play with something we shouldn't be touching? How often do we think we can dabble just a little bit with this thing because it's okay. It's really not that bad. I mean, it could be worse. I'm just kind of having fun with this thing. The problem is, is those things that we touch that we have no business being a part of eventually lead us off. Eventually take control. Eventually decide that they're the master that we need. But in all of that, God said, no, I buy you back. Think about it this morning, right? The stone was rolled away. Jesus bought us back. And he made a people of his own. Because in that story, God, what God is saying is, in uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, he says, I will sow her, Israel, into the land for myself. So first, Jezreel means God sows, and he's not going to sow. And God says, no, I will sow you into the land. And I will have compassion on Lorahema, no compassion. I will have compassion on those who do not deserve compassion. I, I will say to Lo and me, those who are not my people, that you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. The negative names become the positive. Because so often in life, that's what he does, is, is we see those negative things, and God's using them for the positive. I was reading this thing this morning, uh, scrolling through Facebook, because my wife doesn't like it. Chill out, relax for a couple minutes, and so it tells a story about this pastor who's got this guy over for dinner, and he's, he's you know, redneck farmer, and he's like, hey, would you like to pray for a, a meal? And the pastor stands up, and he Lord, you know I hate buttermilk. Lord, you know I hate white flour even more. And Lord, I'm really just not crazy about any of these things. But Lord, you know I love this thing. But Lord, I thank you that you use the things we don't like, and you keep mixing them so you make what we like. That's what God's doing. He's, he's taking all of those negatives, He's taking all of those things that we thought were, were horrible, that we look back in our lives and go, Jesus, I wish I never did that. And he goes, I know, I know, don't worry, though, because I'm going to use that for positive. I'm going to use that to showcase who I am, and in doing so, bring other sons and daughters to glory. Because that's what he does. That's the mission of God. And I think oftentimes, if we would, if we would allow Jesus, I mean, we, he doesn't need our permission but he wants us to give it to him. If we would allow him to invade the hurt, invade the negative, invade the spaces we keep closed off, not only would we find healing, 
that others would see the same. And here's the connection to the message. God is teaching us, and he's teaching Israel at the time, who he is and how he acts. He acts in a midst of setback. True He is good because that is who he is. He doesn't do good because he deserves it. He does good because he is. And he invites his people to be like him. He says, now that you're mine, oh, my little darling, walk in true faithfulness. And it's it's not a condemnation thing because he doesn't expect us to get it right 100% of the time because let's be honest he knows us we fail and think Jesus you're probably done with me now I did it again I messed up I fell down I didn't take the opportunity and he goes well obviously I know what I made right like anybody sin like uh, older couples right like you've got some life experience you remember back in the day giving your kids like ten dollars telling them to go to the store get something bring home the change well they're going to go to the store get half of what you asked them to get and there's no change all of a sudden right you knew that going into it you're not mad at them that's god he's not mad he's going it's a, we're, we're working on this it's okay i don't expect you to get it all at once Remember, his complaint against the, his people were, hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. For the Lord has a case against you and against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. This was not a condemnation to punish them. It was something said to make them perk up their ears and go, okay, then we're missing it. We've got to get back to the morality. That's all it is. God says, you're not living like my people. I put my name on it. You better act right. And we can think this has nothing to do with us, but Romans 15.4 says, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scripture. We're supposed to read this and go, God, it's supposed to cause us to go, God, do I have cassette tendency? Do I have true faithfulness? Do I have tender mercy for those who are around me? Do I look at those who are the, the prostitute, the runaway, the drug addict, the, the one in prison? Do I look at any of these people, and when I look at them, do I go, Jesus, please save them? Or do I go, oh, look at them. Wasting their lives. And God says, yeah, so are you. We're supposed to read the story and remind us to have lives characterized I think if we're honest, the the world doesn't know that we have true, faithful love. Jesus says you will be known by your love for one another, and I I don't think that's how the world knows us. It's not, again, not a condemnation, just a reality of fact. And that's, the world knows us from what we're against, and that's, that's not entirely bad. I hate when people just leave it there, because that's not all bad, because we are supposed to be against certain things. Right? There are things we are supposed to be against and things that we are supposed to speak out against. That's okay. That's good. That's godly. But if that is all that people know about us, then they don't know the whole story. And maybe, maybe, oh, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to, maybe 
we don't know it. Maybe we don't walk in true faithful love because we don't know that we really do have true faithful love with God. Maybe we don't really know how much God loves us. And so we forget to share it with others. I can be honest, I forget. And I'm thankful for the times when God reminds me, even if it's hard. Here's what we're supposed to be known by. As Journey Church, as the church as a whole, we, that we are for people, that we are for truth, that we are for mercy, that we are for compassion, that we are for grace, that we are for Jesus, and Jesus serves for reconciliation and restoration. That is what the world should know us by. If we, so I, I, we get journey hats, we got shirts, we got all sorts of things. Who just gets the stickers, right? Who gets the stickers? Um, right? Here's the thing. You put those things on your car and you're identifying yourself, not just with, with Journey Church, but with God himself. I know people who don't have the Jesus fix on their car because they know they drive like crap. <laughs> right? And they're like, no, I don't, I don't need people knowing I follow Jesus when I'm in my car. Right? But we do that. Those things are good because we put them on us to identify ourselves. And if somebody looks at you and says, Michael, I I know that guy. uh, He's got the Journey shirt. Journey. They must be full of love and compassion and mercy and care and and, and love for the poor and and compassion on those who need it. And that must be what Jesus is like because I'm seeing that in him. And that's what God wants for us. Mother Teresa wrote a poem. Some of you have heard it. Uh, never heard. I didn't get slides because I didn't know if they were going to fit. It's kind of long. But it says, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people will cheat, may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone might destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. To do good today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and your God. It will never be The things we do, we do for him. The things we seek, we seek for him. The things that we desire, we desire because they're things that he wants us to do. Somebody hates you for that? Somebody doesn't like you? Somebody doesn't invite you into something? Who cares? It's between you and Jesus, not you and them. Jesus has his own thing he's dealing with them on. God is on a mission, and that mission is focused on the bringing people into the fullness of life. Hosea was written to people who follow God. So when we read this story, we can ask ourselves, God, where am I in this story? And if you don't like the answer, that's okay. Change. You're not dead yet. If you follow Jesus, never forget, you were once the lost, You were the one who needed Jesus. So I'm going to close, and we're going to go into a time of response together, okay? 
revival starts when we remember that we were once the wandering and lost person and we refuse to let others be that way. Daniel 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 32, the second half says, the people who know their God will be strong and take action. If we're the people who know God, then he is calling us to action. Now, some of you might say, okay, well, what's the action? This is where Mike's going to give us a big three-step plan. One three-step, here you go. Pray. Um, number two, pray. Uh, number three, not pray, go do. Whatever it is, right? I have no idea. I don't know who your neighbors are. I don't know who you interact with on a daily basis. You pray and say, Jesus, what would you have me do in the lives of people around me so that they would know you? And then you go do that thing. Know your God and take action. And again, it's not condemnation. Because if anything you ever hear me say feels like, well, Jesus, you're too rough to go. I just, I just don't like that. You're just too rough. Well, you're not hearing me right. It's not condemnation. Because it's between you and your God. Not me. There's no, like, sign-up sheet for we need somebody to go feed 5,000 people. Jesus already did that. I'm not getting involved in that. Right? It's between you and God. That's all I want for you. I want to hear your stories of how God spoke to you and how God moved in your life and how you saw these things happen and how you just really knew you needed to go do this thing and you did it and you saw how God moved and you're excited and then all of a sudden we're all excited with you. The question as we go into a time of response, the question for our life, God, what do you want me to do? If you're on mission, if, if your mission is to seek and save that which is lost, what's my part? And then whatever it is, that's your part. I don't care what it is. That's you and Jesus. So we're going to go into a time of response. I invite the worship team up. And um, I, I would say this as we go into our response time. Whatever it is, however Jesus is prompting you to respond to him, right? And there's lots of ways you can do it. I'm not going to give you three simple steps here, but you, you can give because giving is worship. Giving is saying, Jesus, I trust you. I know I've been holding on to the wallet real tight, but I want to trust you. That can be response. Response can be coming up for prayer because you have things you need to confess to another person. And you just, you, you know as I've, been, as I've been speaking, you know as we've been worshiping that I've got to let this thing out because it's eating me alive. Then that's okay. Come up and do that. You can come up and ask for prayer for someone. You can sit right where you are and pray. Or you can stand and you can rejoice and you can worship God with your tears. However you respond is just like however you serve. That's you and Jesus. I just want to thank you, Lord, in whatever it is. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you that we are able to come and interact with you, a true and living and real God. That you are present, Jesus. That just, you know, as Brad was saying earlier, the stones rolled away. You walked out of the grave. You ascended to the right hand of the Father. You are alive and not dead. And if you're alive, you can speak to 
us today in whatever situation we find ourselves in and whatever it is we're doing, you can speak into us. So Jesus, I beg of you, speak to your people today. I I pray that we will have ears that will open, that we will hear your voice, the sweet, tender voice of our love.